0: Dana DeSico and I sat down again today to discuss the juxtaposition of religion, spirituality, and nature, I would say. And we we started off a little differently than I usually do. There wasn't too much of an introduction. We just jumped right in. So hopefully that's not too disorienting. Um and it, it was a really interesting conversation that revealed the depths of anger that we all carry as humans and the ways in which it reflects in these conversations that we all have together. Um, I noticed in myself this level of aggression and rage that that exists underneath it all when I discuss things that seem like hypocrisy to me, but to someone else might not be hypocrisy at all. And uh, that was really um, revelatory for me. And thank you to Dana for that. And hopefully you enjoy. <laughs> Way,
1: Way of the Beekeepers? What's it yeah, called, Way of the Bees? Uh, the, the Way of the Bees. Yeah, I believe it's called Way of the Bees. But this dates back to pre-Christianity and, um, you know, in Great Britain. And it talks about their lineage of um, journeying and keeping bees and, and using the bee as an animal that helps them kind of go between the worlds. Um, it is mainly a female-based thing, but there are men that, that are part of it as well. Um, and it's, it's really interesting, but yeah, I mean, without a doubt, I think the bee is, you know, one of those animals that, that helps us transcend the world and and kind of has like a higher level of consciousness.
0: Yeah, I do. I do too. I, I, I'm not sure how to, um, to mix that with the fact that they are so on, on some kind of magnetic field, you know, like driving force right like a lot of animals are i was watching um our planet the other day and it was about these turtles that come out every year at the same time on this beach they pop their heads up out of the sand and um they're still they're totally still until all of them pop out and there are like thousands and thousands of them the ones that pop out first remain still and then as soon as they're all popped out they go they run to the ocean as fast as they can and it's like the most dangerous journey of their life because there are all kinds of predators waiting to get them because it's their feeding season, these predators. So Mm -hmm. then these, when, you know, half of them wind up dying, the other half gets to the ocean and, um, they go on this path where the magnetic field, um, imprints on them. Literally. That's how David Attenborough described it, that it imprints on them and they make this trip, this journey to where they go. And then they make the exact same trip back in order to breed on the same ocean on the same beach. And so that like incredibly robotic aspect of many animals, most animals are on that magnetic field. Are we, I I presume we probably are in a way on that same driven magnetic field of movement. I think about that often, actually, like are are the paths that we take predestined? Are we walking a certain path to create a certain energetic, you know, uh, timeline or some kind of shift in the environment as we move and is that what they're doing too you know um Mm -hmm. so so thinking about that it's like are how can bees be higher level if they're so stuck in that pattern just like uh, you know us honestly but at the Mm -hmm. same time like how how do you can you talk more about what how you think of them as being higher level. And for, for listeners, just so you know, we are we were just talking about a coin, about a, a shared experience yesterday with bees that was totally separate. And then Dana mentioned this book, Way of the Bees. Um, but h- how do you see bees as being higher level? Like what's your version well, I, of that?
1: I mean, for me, I think they speak to our oneness, our collective oneness. And I think, I mean, bees represent community. They represent the sort of hive mentality, I think. And I think they represent, you know and what you just said you're talking about you know the the turtles being on this sort of magnetically driven path but they're, they're doing this really for the collective good of the community you know it's a oneness that this is what they must do even if even if death is kind of part of it you know mm-hmm. not all of them are going to make it but in order for them to continue as a the species they have to put themselves in that path that way mm-hmm. of you know and i think that's what we do as humans i mean I, do I think we're on a similar sort of um, collective oneness towards something, whether it's extension or something? I think we absolutely. And I think that we're both completely aware of it on some unconscious level and also completely not aware of it. Like I think what we need to do as a society is learn how to lean into it more, mm. you know, yeah, to really recognize that how, you know, how collectively together we all are. You know, I think that all of our experiences are shared, you know, all of our, What one of us does affects everybody, you know, even if we can't always feel it. And I think for the bees, you know, what are, what are they always doing? They're working towards, you know, maintaining that hive, maintaining the ability to, to keep going.
0: Do you think there's a level Um, of, do you think there's a level of consciousness for them? Or do you think it's unconscious?
1: I I think there's a level of consciousness for, for all beings. I think that we just don't because we speak different languages we're assuming because they don't speak our language that their consciousness is therefore like less than yeah um and I think that the one thing we've seen and we saw it in a journey we did recently I think spirits beginning to I think the longer you go on this journey and the further you really go you start to realize that like the true language of 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 the universe isn't words it's things like light and color and and sound yeah you know what are bees yeah what are bees I mean think about the sounds they make think Mm. about their attraction to colors and flowers think about their sort of this amazing even when they make the honeycomb the secret geometry that's in Mm. it so they're doing something they fit into this sort of bigger piece of how our universe works but they're just because they don't use words we're not we don't value them the same way but yet they're such an important part of our ecosystem. Or if cert- bees certain disappear. Certain, certain types of bees. Yeah.
0: Well, no, I mean certain certain groups of people don't value them. And I would say mostly in the West, we don't we don't value them. But then you look at indigenous peoples, and I think they do, but you know, I know what you're saying. The vast mm-hmm. majority of the thing of the experiences that we have. Bees are just considered yeah. things to squash because they might bite you, right? And you, you also made me think of like mm-hmm. of, of the sound I have never thought of this before, but the sound that bees make. it is kind of like an ohm, you know it's it really is. It's like, oh my oh, goodness, yes, you know. And that's pretty you know? incredible. they they and they do hold up. And as most of us know now, I think this was new kind of new information in like 2010 or something, but now most of us know that Einstein said once the bees are gone, we are we're doomed. Once the bees are gone, we're doomed. That was one of his uh most important contributions, I think. You know, well, yeah. maybe that's not true, but um and it's funny that we think what were you gonna say?
1: No, I was just gonna say I was gonna ask if you if you heard about what happened in New York City, I guess about two weeks ago in Midtown. There was huge swarms of bees. Like literally, oh. I'll I'll send you the clip. They were on sides of like office <gasps> buildings. They were coming down, you could see them on a- corner of a hot dog car you could see all the tourists and people running from them but thousands and thousands of bees they had to be removed from the center of manhattan did they and did they the say about that is did they
0: escape from a beekeeper's rooftop i, you know, I don't
1: i don't know that i think that's there a are really some interesting question that i don't know the answer to that yeah
0: there are beekeepers yeah, in Manhattan. Um,
1: Oh, absolutely! It's actually growing. It's growing quite a bit. I mean, um, and it should be. I mean, we should we we should be you know we should be doing this. You know, but, but they don't.
0: The thing about uh, bees is the thing about bees is they don't do that. They don't like leave the honey the home base. You know, oh,
1: okay.
0: I unless they absolutely have to. And the way they do it is they go one at a time, and one at a time they go and they choose a place that is perfect. You know, they go through a very incredible dance that is very predestined. One leaves, goes out, scouts for a spot, spends all kinds of time, this tree won't work, this tree won't work, this tree won't work, this tree is taken, this tree is this. And then finally they find the tree, they go back to the hive, they tell one of them to go and check it out. Another one goes to the same tree, checks it out. And if they agree, they wow. come back and they do this a few times. And then finally, the main the main scout that is the main decision maker comes back and does a dance and then they all start doing this and they have a competing dance that they do and the one that has the best dance is the one that chooses mm-hmm. the tree and so where oh. could these bees be going and then they all go they all like okay. make the progression to this new place but where could they be going in manhattan there's no there's no acceptable homestead
1: for bees on park
0: avenue you know
1: so i mean that was literally the swarm of them moving across the side of a very modern glass building like yeah i don't know what are they doing i i have no idea i didn't know that that's how they scouted out that to hear you share that that's beautiful it's a really beautiful it is um you know uh yeah way, yeah. way to do something you know it's it kind of feels like everybody's involved in the process you know um, a yeah, bit, you know, with that kind of sending another bee out, you know,
0: and then you, you have know. the the um, queen, then you have the queen bee who is the ultimate sacrifice, actually, she has the the most painful job, you know, of, of constantly giving birth. That's what the queen bee does, is constantly give birth in the hive while the other bees support her through that until finally she dies she's, she's the life giver. So you think of queen bee as like the ultimate in power, right? Humans, you know, you know, they anthropomorphize it and it's like the queen bee is the, is the leader, you know, has all the money, (laughs) but really what she's the true leadership in her is that she's sacrificing herself for the good of the bees. It's not about telling people, telling bees what to do, (laughs) like you know?
1: that the, there's that oneness again right yeah the sacrifice yeah. for the for the greater good I feel like too sometimes when we think about bees and the way they live they it always makes me think of early society matriarchal societies you know societies mm-hmm. that are it feels like um, a return to something that's I don't want to say more primitive because I think that's like almost degrading but something right. that's more in sync with the natural flow of our universe in sync with nature and I think that that in our society we've gotten so out of sync of living with nature to the point that we we are threatening the existence of, of bees and other species and um, yeah I'm glad I don't we're know, feels like there's a connection
0: <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about this because I just watched Stephen Greer's uh, Lost Century and the way to get it back or something like that and um, you know there's a lot of I don't know if you knew this but there's beginning to be a lot of pushback against Greer in the UFO community. There, you know, they and I do think that Stephen Greer has some things that are, you know, that I don't necessarily understand or or jive with. I, I will say that, but I also have been waiting for this to happen to him because he's been such a loud voice pushing against all of the secrecy in mm-hmm. in government and in in our society and i knew that eventually there would be whispers about how he's a grifter how he is taking a ton of money and there there may be some aspects of that but regardless the last century is about um the idea that the us has had all of these advanced technologies for like a 100 years and you know that they mm-hmm. reverse um reverse engineered uh ufos that they found since you know the beginning of the century the 20th century and that if they had not hidden all of these technological developments we would be poverty free we would be we would not have an issue with water the environment could be easily cleaned uh no more fossil fuels which is the numero uno reason why they want to hide it and now they're pushing this fake um you know energy uh you know like tesla what what are those called electric cars that's the new thing that they're mm-hmm. using they're like oh we're we're all we're, we're going to go electric yeah we're going to go electric we're going to use lithium batteries that lead to mining that destroy the environment and destroy communities mm-hmm. and also require equally as much energy to run so that the fossil fuel industry yeah. still makes money for it and yeah, meanwhile exactly and meanwhile exactly. We, we have yeah. these technologies that uh could allow us to have none of that incredible output no input very few dollars needed to be spent so and then you know it it, it really kind of got my got me going about you know just yeah the...
1: i mean it it's making sure that our capitalist society has something else it can function on to make money and it still allows it to continue in the way it does so we don't the people in power can just shift how they're getting their money and shift their power from one thing to the other yeah and, and, it's, and... um yeah yeah, it's putting us so out of sync with our natural world, even if we're doing it under the guise of doing something better for the planet, you know?
0: Well, the problem, though, is, yes, the the big wigs, the fat cats, the, you know, the elite, the um, the Illuminati, the cabal, whatever you want to call it, they they are responsible for the driving force behind the greed. But unfortunately, so are we every time you go and buy a new cell phone, because you wanna have, by the way, the exact same thing, but it's just a different version of it next year. You want the new one, even though it's the exact same thing you had last year, you want the new one, or you go and buy a new car, or you go and buy a new this, new that, all this disposable technology that we continue to like consume. We're responsible too, and it's not just about the environment. I'm not even talking about the environment. I'm talking about the greed the the unwillingness to sacrifice that greed for for more 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 that's that's our responsibility too they may drive mm-hmm. it but we also buy into it we buy yeah. into you know Jamie Diamond and Jeff Bezos we buy into that so mm-hmm. it's our responsibility just as much as it is theirs to shift our way of being just yeah. fills, fills me with rage which which um and
1: and, and there's that oneness again right yeah
0: that yeah sort of,
1: yeah yeah I, I think it all does come down to it you know um you know and this is sort of something I was talking with a friend of mine last night um because yesterday was a year since they overturned Roe v Wade and we were really talking about you know like the impact of that and really talking about the fact that there wasn't much being said about that really uh, across media and something that brought us into a conversation about religion um because she is, she is um, you know, a a very religious person, but she brings none of the typical things you would maybe associate with that into it. And when we started talking about that, we really started talking about the role of women, not supporting other women in this and, and a way in which they were stripping us from our oneness as not only women, but as a society by not supporting others women's right to choice and that's what when you're saying we all have a role in this that there's another way in which we aren't all working with the oneness for one another you know and i think it's
0: Mm -hmm. you know you can find
1: that in like so many things across our society
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um you know we were talking about women saying well you shouldn't have an abortion because of religious reasons instead of saying them saying i choose not to have them because of my own religious reasons you know Right. And I think that that was where, where they weren't able to see the oneness in it, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and they, yeah, they are also, they're clouded by people. People are, are very clouded by their own un, by their own suppressed experience. I think it's, it's interesting. And it will, it'll go back to to this, but just like, just as a little side note, I, I've been thinking a lot recently about anger and about my own anger and and frankly, everybody's anger. And there, there's this whole, there's just this whole uh, tendency in our society to say, I'm not angry. I'm not afraid. I'm not angry, especially women. Women are, are very, very afraid of being angry. And it's because of our conditioning. We're supposed to be fetching. We're supposed to be endearing. We're supposed to be engaging. We're supposed to be friendly and smiley. I mean, you walk down the sidewalk when you're a young woman and you're not smiling and men often say smile. And it's just, I mean, that that's, mm-hmm. that's a thing that used to just, cause I'm not a natural smiler when I walk down the sidewalk. You mean, know? me
1: neither. I I get that a lot, you know? So, yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, and, and so this anger that I'm, I'm feeling in myself lately and, and the, the knowledge, the surprising knowledge that it's something that I have, I think, suppressed for a while as someone who believes in the opposite of suppression of emotion. It's, it's the one emotion that doesn't go along with the spiritual, you know, the spiritual path, right? It's like, what am I, I, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm not angry because anger feels like an attack. But what's interesting about anger is that it's actually our birthright. It's it's our it's our DNA inheritance. And a lot of people don't like to accept that we come from chimps. We are, our DNA is so similar to chimps as well as mice and butterflies. Mm-hmm. And, but But chimps is our closest relative, right? And when you look at chimps, in the wild and anywhere, but especially in the wild, you see that as soon as a, a neighboring tribe infringes or encroaches upon their in their territory, they attack, they go into rage mode and they attack. And we've mm-hmm. inherited that rage mode, that encroachment. We've we've inherited that. We have that in us, this tendency to become angry upon any perceived encroachment. You look at a, a chimp and you you recognize as a human that it's a bit irrational, right? Why are you tearing Mm -hmm. that being to death, you know, ripping it apart because it took a step onto your territory. We don't understand the depth of it, of course, but it's the same thing for us. It's like I become irritated by someone in the city I'm living in right now because of their annoying, you know, uh, (laughs) uh, cluelessness or ignorance about something. And that's the chimp in me arising. And I want to suppress that because I don't want to externalize my anger upon a person who has done nothing to deserve my anger, right? But at the same time, the anger exists. So how do you, I think this is something we need to learn as a society, how do you balance the anger? How do you hold the anger within, allow it to flourish, or allow it to blossom and not blame, not externalize? That's like that space between we've talked about, right? The space between externalizing anger and and suppressing the anger what's the space between that
1: I think that there's there's also a lot you talk about the space in between being you know uh, sort of I think a gateway to this not only can people not conceive of the fact that we came and you know developed from apes they also can't fathom the concept of the space in between like what you just said is so like foreign and so abstract and so you know um just strange to them that you know the thing that we do differently as humans is we have this anger but instead of just having it like and primarily reacting to it the way an ape would we start to create reasons for it Mm -hmm. we start you know we start we start to be able to justify it or Mm -hmm. you know we start to look in um we can say we're doing this because of xyz or let's take a look at the bible and this is why we have to do this or this is why we have to you know have a issue with our neighbor this is why we have a justification to go to war this is why it's okay for us to encroach on the natives or whatever the the reason may be Mm -hmm. um yeah and
0: and and we i think that to a certain extent there's value in that that that's the purpose of the brain and and the purpose of the ego is is to work through that, okay, so I feel anger at this person because all they care about in the world is whether they got a parking space and whether another car took up two parking spaces. Okay, you're a very privileged person living in a very wealthy community and that's what you care about. So then I start to get, I feel my anger arise about this, right? And then uh, rather than Mm -hmm. writing back on the social media or saying something rather than that which seems to be the psychological answer now you know in in this in this current paradigm you're supposed to communicate mm-hmm. your anger you're supposed to share your anger i don't agree with that i i don't think that sharing the anger or communicating the anger is the answer i think that's externalizing mm-hmm. it i think it's blaming someone else for an anger that's within but but what what i do think is that like you said the brain then takes that anger and makes gives reasons for it. And then rather than allowing the brain and the ego to continue on with that, the goal is to be able to say, okay, here are the reasons. This is what's going on here. Now let's take it deeper. What does this reason mean in my heart? Okay. So I'm I'm annoyed by this person and it's turned into anger because of what I feel is their perceived ignorance about what actually matters in the world. So What is it about what actually matters in the world that is triggering me? Well, clearly, I feel some kind of emptiness about what what matters in my world. What's that emptiness? Well, clearly, there's something that I need to pursue that I'm not pursuing. What is it that I'm not pursuing? Oh, perhaps I need to sit down and, and journal about this piece of anger that has arisen and then explore it more deeply rather than allowing the reasons to continue to make excuses for me to then go and attack this person you know so it's like making that choice mm-hmm. and that's where we differ from the chimps is that we can make that choice
1: yeah and, and what you're talking about there when you're saying to go inward and to journal and do all that, you're talking about doing the inner work yeah. and i think that when we talk about doing the inner work I think, and I don't think it's just for me or you or, you know, anyone that I may know who I see who's actually doing the work that's connected in some way to a spiritual pursuit. You cannot start going inward and you cannot start doing the work without questioning your larger place in, in the world we live in and the universe we live in and start asking these questions, you know, the bigger questions, you know, where did I come from? You know, like, how did I wind up here? Why am I who I am, you know, and all of those things. And I think they all go back to that internal work. And when you're doing that, that's where you start to realize that the space in between or the the unconsciousness is, is kind of like the key or the path in. And -hmm. then that, again, brings you back to the oneness. And it's all connected in this very interesting, circular sort of spiral energy, like you can't, you can't hit on any of this without connecting it back to something else. And even the anger, I think, is it, you can start looking at that as a sort of service to oneness. And I think that that's yeah. what's starting to happen in our society again. You know, we should be really angry about our rights being taken away. We should be really angry about how minorities are treated. We should be really angry. We should. We shouldn't allow those things to happen. And I'm not saying that we should be angry, but we should Voice our concern about it. We should stand up for it. We should. We can't you know, help. And but that's where the, there's the anger in there.
0: <laughs> we can't help, yeah. but be angry. I think that's the key. There are all these, um, yes, yeah. many things in society that are happening that we're angry about. But actually, it really doesn't have any. It doesn't have anything to do with the the trigger. Yes, we're we're angry about this, that, this, that, racism. You know, rights being taken away. Yes, we're angry about it. But actually it doesn't have anything to do with that. There is an innate inherited anger that we hold as humans, a DNA based anger that we hold that comes from Mm -hmm. the roots of our existence. And it's, it's, it's working through that, I think. And that's where evolution will arise is working through that anger, taking it personally, not in that you are taking it personally and saying, but taking it personally in that you are, you're evolving with it. And, you're allowing it to exist, but not expressing it outward so that everyone else is responsible for it. They may trigger it, but they are not responsible for it. But like, okay, so you you said you said before that that's the spiritual path and that, you know, we are, it, what, what are we here for and taking the, the path back to unity. But wouldn't you say too that people who call themselves religious, whether it be Christian or Jewish or Muslim or anything, but. We'll focus on Christians for now because you know it's, as Louis C.K. would say, Christians won. <laughs> but but you know, wouldn't you say that that's what they're doing too? They they are on a spiritual path as well, and they are, of course, they are right, and and they are looking for the, the answers to why they're here. But like, where do they go wrong? Where do you think they go wrong? Uh,
1: personally, total personal thing where I think they go wrong is there's different ways. There's a difference between being spiritual and being religious. And I think that a lot of spiritualness that I see in Christianity is so focused on religious doctrine that the spiritual becomes less of an inward search and more about like external rules and regulations and behavioral allowances and things like that, that I think that when they think they're going with a lot of that going within seems to be, I mean, just, just a big tenant of a lot of Christianity is, is, you know, converting others, Mm -hmm. Uh, having others see your true path. Now, that's not not something you see in some other religions. That's not something you see necessarily in a lot of new age movements, because it's always about going within and doing the work yourself. And I think with Christianity, it's about following certain things or obeying certain things. And for me, I think that's the point of difference that, that journey within sometimes is more about suppressing natural urges or suppressing what we might want to intuitively do to force other things and part of that journey is making sure other people are doing the same thing mm-hmm. so you're getting into control and you're getting into some of these other things I think that that that's where the the journey differs yeah and that's a gross generalization I think too
0: but right it's a it is yeah. it's a generalization but I I think it it's true although I would my the one thing I would sort of disagree with is that the new age movement doesn't do the same thing Because I I think that, I think it's not new, the new age movement, right, is not as um, uniform. As say Christianity is. So there are a, a, a million different people in one movement that create this one movement. And mm-hmm. everybody's always right about what they believe. Not everybody, again, it's a generalization, but there's always mm-hmm. like, th- this is what it is. And, you know, this is how it works. And come follow me and give me your attention and your love and let me be the Christ figure. And, you know, this is the answer. Yeah. So it's human to want to be loved. I think is really actually what's happening there is the, the the people who are most right are the ones that need the most love and and need and want to get the approval and you know the validation. But but I do get your point. Absolutely, yeah. There, there's yeah. less of it. Yeah. There, there's more there's more of an openness in, in the new age spirit and we'll get rid of new age and just say spiritual community that isn't connected to any institution. Right. There's more of an openness. Mm-hmm. There's more of a willingness to accept differences, even if they don't go along with what you believe in. And hopefully it remains yeah. that way.
1: And Because I think a lot of that journey is about looking around and saying, I can see the truth in a lot of things. I see the truth in Christianity. I see the truth truth in what jesus preached i see the truth in what buddha was saying i see the truth in you know pagan-based religions and the worship of nature and i see that they're all saying the same thing that they're truly at the end of the day not saying different things they're just in different packages you know um and i think that there, are you know there's different points of emphasis <laughs> within them you know and and um it's the
0: institutionalization on my part. It's the The institutionalization. That's
1: religion. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah.
0: And it's taking, Um, it's taking those, those, those beliefs, the beliefs of the faithful, because that's what we are too. You and me, we're faithful. We are. It's, it's a word. Mm -hmm. We've discussed this a lot, but there are certain words that are kind of, that really kind of rile the senses, you know, like the faithful, the Holy Spirit. God, yeah, uh, you know all these these words that have been co opted by an institution that has turned them into something that just represents something very repressive, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the truth of the matter is we're the faithful, and but it, it's yeah. taking the the faithful and it's putting them behind a framework of uh,
1: accepted practices, and yeah, it is about. Go well it, 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 it's it's really where these institutions have instead of providing the path for religious spiritual or the path of the mystic they've gotten into the art of governing mm-hmm. <laughs> they're governing our behaviors and you then know, what's behind that
0: and then what's behind control, that
1: power and then yeah, what's like behind that money money yeah ego The a million things are behind it right and it's it's um and There's it's not- hard to look at these institutions and and this governing these governing bodies, especially as a woman, and you know really see like I look at these women who are suppressing other women, and I say, how dare they?
0: Well, how, right? How dare
1: they do that? You know, like.
0: But then, in the, but then the path to compassion is because it's they're suppressed, right? They're repressed, so yeah. re- the repressed repress. I I watched I watched the movie Twelve Years a Slave yesterday again. And um I was just like shaking, you know, I like I said, my my the anger has begun to bubble up and show itself in really beautiful ways and just like how I need to really Mm -hmm. be with this, really be with this anger because I have a lot of it, as I think we all do. I think we're all angry and I don't think that's a generalization, you know. But like we said, but I was watching it, I was just shaking my head the whole time, just like how what is wrong with them? You know, how what is going on here? Then of course reminding myself, I don't know what I would have done had I lived when I lived in that time. I don't know what I did. I don't know. I hope I'd like to be able to say the best of myself, but I don't know what kind of existence I have had. Probably all of them, right? So it it's the It's the forgiveness in that, but then also just the mm-hmm. anger that it existed. And then i I looked at it's just acting, right? It's not real people, but I looked at um Michael, uh, I can't remember his name, but you know, he was one of the slaveholders. And I'm just watching him act. And I'm like, that guy was repressed big time by his father when he was a child. And I don't mean the actor. I mean the character. And mm-hmm. and the and the real person who really did these things as well, all of them were they suffered their own level of slavery, and that's not to, to to denigrate the experience of slavery or to you know explain it away or anything like that or to compare. Then again, though, when you're a child who's experiencing a serious suppression, is it that different from slavery? I don't know. And so then they they live to perpetuate that and to perpetuate the belief that they are better and that the power they have over the other is going to exercise them of the of the pain of that
1: suppression? I think, you know, we talk about being part of the spiritual community, right? And we talk about, you know, looking at our anger as we're on this spiritual journey. A big part for me of being able to look at it and understand where it's coming from and begin to release it in bits and bits, you know, and and sometimes on this path of releasing, you find new ones that pop up. In order to be able to release or acknowledge or see or understand something, you have to accept it. You have to welcome it, and you have to do that without the judgment, right? You have to just allow whatever is to to be what it is, you know. Um, to to meet it without judgment is, I think, when we, you know, we sit and we journey, especially when we start to get into past lives' experiences that we have, we start to understand like the larger connections of some of this anger and some of this sort of um moments where you're you know you're talking about this character in the movie having been suppressed as a child and we can look at our own lives and see where this depression happened but then we can also start to see the suppressions that we came in with you know the larger part of our overarching soul like our you know like the bigger part of our story you know and I think that um, you know, we've all had, you know, you said earlier, we've all had experiences where we've been all of it, you know, and we've, you've know, gotten to be the person that's been suppressed and oppressed, And we've been the person that's done that to others, you know, um, both in this life, I think, and in other lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a big part of it, you know, um,
0: yeah. And acknowledging the truth of that, one of my past life regressions led me to, I, I was a Roman, um, uh, I my centaur maybe is what they were called that uh where they would walk around and basically beat people up and maintain order. I was I was mm-hmm. one of those people. I also had some very beautiful past lives that were, you know, the other thing, but it to mm-hmm. deny that to not deny that reality. I mean, those Roman people, I think they were called centaurs, right? Do you know?
1: I don't know. I'm not sure, but I, I, I have I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's a word. Yeah. But yeah. it could be. Um, <laughs>
0: well why why wonder let's (laughs) i just want to look thanks to google
1: we don't have to wonder right (laughs) right right Right. um
0: (laughs) roman censor uh ancient, no, it's a, cre- <laughs> it's a creature. It's a mythological creature. <laughs> yeah, uh, I knew that it's... was one of the definitions. But I was, but... was probably, perhaps I was also a mythological creature. I have not gotten in touch with that one yet, but th- this is just a, basically the Roman police, right? And, um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, so the whole point being uh, is that we have all had those experiences. I think, I. you know, you, you mentioned the past life connection, and I remember One of the first journeys you and I ever went through years ago together was, uh, a, a past life of yours came through for me very clearly that you had, I,
1: I, I knew that that was going to, I knew that's what you were going to say.
0: Right. Well, I figured that's probably, but, but, uh, you, you had been a, um, persecuted Christian, right? Was that it? Yeah. Yeah. A
1: persecuted early Christian. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you were crucified, and uh, which which was not a uh, it wasn't just Jesus who was crucified for his actions. Anyone who followed Jesus afterwards for a very long time was killed for that. And then suddenly the Romans decided they liked Christianity and then they co-opted it and killed Mm. different kinds of Christians. They killed the Gnostic Christians who actually believed the truth about Christianity, but the Romans bastardized it, turned it into their own power gain, their power clutch and then the gnostics kind of went underground and so you were probably in the level of gnostic you know i think that was the i think mm-hmm. it was like the 300s or something that we went back to yeah later. and
1: yeah,
0: um, absolutely
1: we... that was that was such a powerful clearing what you brought forward it was um yeah that was deep
0: And it connected, I think, a lot to you you in particular have a real aversion to the institution of Christianity, right? So much so to the point that we talked a few weeks ago about the use of the word God and how, you know, like the God, the word God has been actually been suppressed by Christianity in many ways, because many people are not comfortable using Mm -hmm. that word anymore, me included, honestly, yeah. I, tr- I use it all the time, but like, I still get a little bit of cringy when I say it, you know, just a tiny bit of cringe inside, you know, I'd rather say the great mm-hmm. spirit or, you know, the, all that is, but it, it's all, it's the same. Right. But, but mm-hmm. it's, it's that whole idea, that aversion that has arisen. And we wondered if perhaps that past life and many more probably played a role in that aversion, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt, you know, because and and we've even talked about how there wasn't so many things in this life that led me to have that aversion because I've had it since I was a child, you know, it it, certainly I've had things in my later life, you know, in the past 10 years or so experiences where that would make sense for it to come from, but this aversion was here prior to that, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that we all, we all have these things where you bring into this life from other lives. And, and it's not just that we're bringing it in. We're, we're you know, if you look at it, all of these lives are playing out at the same time in some right. way, you know? So it's, it's still within us very freshly, um, you know, and, and that life that you brought forward for me, you know, I could see it. It was like being there. It was like being in it it was it was the reliving of it you know the pain the physical pain the mental anguish and the amount of energy that I released during that and in the days that followed like literally ricocheting off of my physical body Mm -hmm. um was was wild and it was one of those experiences that made me realize like you know, I've had had others, but that was like the the power of acknowledging the past lives and looking at the bigger puzzle of our oneness and how it all fits together, you know, and how we may have, you know, we're here in this life together, but you know, we've been in other lives together. Mm -hmm. Um, I had one of the first um, shamanic journeys I did in a group was uh, maybe about six months or so after um, I really um, started doing shamanic work. After I'd worked with a shaman went and had this amazing experience. He had invited me to be part of a group that he did. Um, you know, come, you know, we shamanically journeyed together. Um me and a friend of mine joined up with that and it was um a shaman, a friend of mine and then some woman that also worked as a shaman that he knew that came and we journeyed and the woman, her name was Sharon. I only met her a few times in my life, but that first time that we met, we were brought together to a collective life that we had had, where we were had been both persecuted and um, killed for being witches. Mm-hmm. And in that life, she was my mother. Mm-hmm. And it was so bizarre. Here's this woman I was just meeting, and I was seeing this like intense connection I had with her. It was wild and she felt it too. And it opened this sort of floodgate for her where she sat and she shared like experiences she had with her own daughters and, you know, like some of the issues she'd had with them is she kept them at a distance because she felt like she just had this feeling that she could never protect them, never serve them, never truly take care of them. And this pain for her stemmed back to losing me and allowed me to be. I died in that life because of who she was and who she was teaching me to be and she so many lives later had that playing out in a relationship with her own daughter and never understood where it came from until until that moment you know mm-hmm. um and it was wild. And we journeyed a few times together after that, but, you know, we, we never really, we, we didn't keep in touch, but we shared this intensely personal experience together. Mm-hmm. Um, It was wild, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, an, the, it is interesting how past lives uh, definitely play into the present life. One, one of my past lives that was read for me at a, a reading that I went to a few years ago was that I was in, um, ancient China. I was a medicine woman and, um, I had something like 26 kids or something like that. And all of them died. Every single one of them died. And, um, you know, I, I just lived with this intense grief as an elderly person because of all of that loss and carried it with me and just had this incredible heaviness. And the, the, my, the reader believed that it was my most recent life i mean obviously like we said it's not about timeline here it's about but that it was the Mm -hmm. thing that i came from to this life and i don't have kids in this life and i won't be having kids in this life don't want Mm -hmm. kids won't be having them and um Mm -hmm. it's uh it's connected i think but then also and here we go back to this idea that i think is perpetuated by by evolution but also by by religion and government i think that also takes puts takes pressure off the idea that I don't have kids, you know, because it's judged still, not that I never get any judgment. Nobody ever says anything to me or asks me or cares at all. Okay. So I I don't get judgment about not having kids. So it's not, I don't say this from a personal place. I say it from a realistic place. Many people do get yeah. judged and, and you Oh you my hear, goodness. I, I, yeah. I got
1: judged before I hit my daughter late, you know, yeah. I, I, got, I felt that judgment. I still feel the judgment of when are you going to have a second? And, and you have women as, as mothers in society living repressed until very recently as legit second class citizens with no rights no ability for financial independence still oh my goodness still and it's it's backtracking it's it is in our country backtracking and it's happening in little ways you take away a woman's right to choose you take away her power and sovereignty over her own body her ability to control her destiny you know you you start looking at women being removed from power in in roles of you know preaching That's another way in which you can't allow this to happen. But when you have a woman living in a society repressed, raising children, that repression becomes part of her motherhood, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, and there's that anger, whether it's a conscious anger or an unconscious anger, Mm -hmm. that all gets passed along, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's where we start talking about ancestral trauma and things that, you know, not only things that we come in with, but all of the things that come from our family you know that that come within us and
0: it's such a deeply rooted problem because you know the whole saying it takes a village to raise a child I I think that's true right but how do you Mm -hmm. society no longer allows for that
1: We, we have to see the value in taking care of each other you know and i think i think that that's what's missing um from our society and those tend to be the things that women can clearly see are important you know what i'm saying like those are you know because because we are so largely ingrained in the whether we are mothers or not, we still have that mothering instinct in us. We still have that ability, you know, we, we can be mothers as women without literally having birth a child. It's like in our, it's in, you know, our, I guess our DNA. And I would I argue that, that know, it's in
0: men's DNA too.
1: Absolutely. You know, and I think that one of the things you talked about really, you talked about, you know, the anger being in our DNA too. Well, the other things there are as well. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, when you look at the spiritual community, there's people that are talking about our DNA needing to be recoded coded as part of our extension. Like, one of the things we need to do in order to continue on the spiritual journey mm. and to continue to ascend and continue to move towards oneness is really activating parts of our DNA that are, for whatever reason, um, not really activated, you know? Mm. Um and I think it. I think it's even more interesting too when you look at the people that are saying this and there's lots of books and lots of new age thinkers that are talking about this that also seems to go hand in hand in people that are doing a lot of extraterrestrial contact work. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about societies in this, this extraterrestrial contact work that have evolved to the point where they embrace technology. They have that concept of oneness. You know, they have all of this sort of thing where what they're doing and living is for like the oneness of the society and they want to help other places including our planet be able to attend to this point point. Mm-hmm. and we're not going to do that if we're still our dna is still like grounded in our survival and our ape-like anger you know yeah. like we need to we need to ascend past that for sure yeah, yeah. um and we I will it's interesting how it kind of all comes together yeah I think we are on lots of levels for sure. We
0: have to, it's, know, it's, it's the just, nature of yeah. life. It's it's the nature of life to evolve. We, we're heading to the next yeah. place. It's being in the in-between that's hard.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and I think that that's where we are as a, as a collective consciousness on earth. We're in that place of the in-between. We We know that what we have isn't working, right? <laughs> we mm-hmm. know that we need to envision something different. Some people think the the maddening pursuit into further reign Christianity would be the answer. And others of us realize that it's not. It's somewhere else. It's about a different sort of, um, whether it's going back to live in a, in a way that's in sync with nature or if it's looking towards the skies to see what the, um, you know, maybe the extraterrestrials have to say and what they're showing us. And, or maybe it's all of these things in a weird way. Maybe it's finding roots in the Christianity that the early Christianity that did That's right. say these things, you That's know, right. and looking at nature and looking at that. And how do we integrate all of these things into something we've never seen before? Because that 6,000 years wow. of Christianity is you such just, a small part of our humanity.
0: You, you just, um, you just made me understand something that I, I never understood there. There is a, what I, what I was going to say is that I, I don't think it's wrong to, continue to pursue Christ's, Jesus, Yeshua's teachings. I think taking those teachings back to what, you know, going back to what those teachings really are is key and that that exists in many different religions, right? That it's not just Christianity, but like his mm-hmm. his real true teachings, I think we should bring them right to present, you know, forget about what the Romans did, get rid of all that. They, it, it was men who wanted money let's forget about them go back to what jesus taught and and then there we are and i was thinking and then you said you know maybe it's all of that maybe it's that and we go back to nature and i thought well jesus definitely lived i mean he only lived in nature he lived on the street and or he would stay in people's homes who would w- welcome him in but then then i thought about this parable that was told where he went up to a fig tree one day and he was in a mood and it's one of the only times that jesus was ever like truly angry like you don't see that side of him in the gospels right and he he was in a mood mm-hmm. and he went up to a fig tree and he saw that the tree didn't have any figs available and so he touched it out of anger and said you're dead basically he killed the fig tree and when they mm-hmm. they went to do what they were doing and when they came back the apostle saw that the tree had died and you know i often i'm like <sighs> What did the fig tree do? <laughs> you know, why would why would Jesus do that to the fig tree? First of all, it wasn't in season, and you know it, it's like it wasn't the fig tree's fault. But that's you just showed me that that's the met. Ma- and Louis C.K. has a pretty funny set about that, like not pretty, funny, yeah. like hysterical. But but you just made me understand that what he was doing was showing the damage we do when we take our own anger out on another being. This is the damage
1: we do. What did Jesus say? He's like, I'm the light of the world, right? Like, that's the other way to look at him. You know, like his teachings have a light to them. You know, they show us like how we connect with ourselves and each other, you know. Um, and he meant that he was the light of the world, but he meant that we're all the light of the that's, world. That's that's exactly you know? what I was about to say.
0: And, yeah. Is that, you know, he was an exceptionally intelligent person and he had an incredible knowledge of the scripture and taught you know the scripture and and he understood the and of course there's translation in this but he understood the word i has has a meaning beyond what we think of the word i you know and so he was was playing with words there i is i i am the light of the world you me i we are i i am the light of the world right
1: well there's that i am presence which right. is another huge part of, you know, if you look at ascendant masters teachings, like that's it, you know, like the, the I am presence is how we all connect to each other in the world, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. um you know, it's that like sort of sacred divinity that he was teaching, you know, like if you look at what he was saying, he wanted to teach all of this without the constraints of like a church. yeah You know, like, yeah, like he didn't think any of that was needed. And look at where we are now with this this Christianity and the money and the power and that there's just all of this that it sits on. And he would be Um, so
0: and, you know, there's a there's a story that he told that is told in, in the Gospels about how he sat in front of the fire the night before he died and just stared into the fire and was just devastated and that he he told them what the future held for what it seems like it was probably what helped for, for the Jewish people because Jewish people were annihilated 70 years later but i think i wonder if it was about more than that if it was about what was going to happen with his teaching you know where it was going to go how mm-hmm. angry he would be if if he you know could if he was here in physical form and he'd be doing the same thing he did then yelling at the you know the money changers and going and calling the the sanhedrin hypocrites and snakes he called them snakes you know he, he didn't believe in institutionalization of religion at all that's that's what he came out mm-hmm. against
1: you know and i kind of feel like you know you're talking earlier about you know you know is this all predestiny right so maybe the way that his that all of the beauty and the words and all of the wisdom that he came to the world maybe it was a predestiny that we would need to Budget up somehow, so we could yeah. come to see really what he was saying. Yeah. So maybe that's what these six thousand years have been about. Yeah, all of these incarnations and these lifetimes we've all went through within the the sort of ways that plays out. Because even before him, there was all of these other societies that lived for thousands of years that also crumbled. You know. You know, so maybe all of this is the predestiny for the overarching thing we need to understand that that we still can't see because we we still live in the midst of it, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, i I had a, a, a kind of a revelation about one of his, one of Jesus's things that he said was suffer the children, right? And, and be like children, be like a child, be like a little child. And I think that was about the willingness to be open and be, have wonder and, you know, and laugh and, and be pr- fully present in every moment. And I think that's what it was about. But I also, you know, the history of children in humanity is one of horror. You know, we look at this, the history of slavery, the history of ch- being a child in this world has, has been a nightmare from the beginning of time. It's, getting better, I guess. But then you look at how many children are being murdered every day from abuse and from, you know, many things. And, and it's like, it's a nightmare to be a child. And some, that is where it starts. That it's, it's the base of how we heal is to start learning how to treat children. And so I, I had this revelation that, you know, what if the whole buildup of the Catholic church that has led to this place where children are being harmed in the Catholic church is the whole point of the Catholic church when it crumbles, which it is, it's crumbling. I'm sorry to say for the many people in my life who are Catholic and priests, and I love them. And I'm sorry to say this out loud and they probably won't even be watching this. So it's okay. But the truth is that, you know, it's crumbling. And I wonder if it's the whole purpose is that uh, watching this thing rise and watching it culminate in this damaging of children and watching it crumble is the main message of it you know, and then the healing that must begin from that.
1: It kind of makes me think of something you said, you know, the way we treat children in our society is it's a nightmare, right? Mm -hmm. But it kind of reminds me, and we've talked about this before, you know, where what is the real reality that we're living in? Is it, is it this reality, this sort of like matrixy reality where we live in a world in which, there's this religion and, and there's the, the way children are treated and there's all of these horrible things happening and beautiful things too. Right. Or is the real world when we start to leave the matrix and we journey and we understand the bigger picture and we start to connect with our higher selves. Like that's the real reality. And for whatever reason, this world we're living in with the matrix and the way that religion is playing out and control and abuse of children, isn't really it is the real reality, but it also isn't, you mm-hmm. know?
0: It's not the ultimate um, reality. Yeah.
1: What we need is consciousness about the decisions we make. Yes. Right? Like, and that's it. And that's that sort of like the consciousness of why we're doing what we're doing. And then, <laughs> you know, you... why are we the consciousness of allowing ourselves to see why we're feeling anger or why we want to do something or...
0: Yeah, this has been a my my anger and rage have shown throughout this conversation, Dana. Thank you.
1: I have yeah. lots of, lots to journal about <laughs> no, later. No. Same here. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah.
0: But uh, thank you very much. You you are you're at from shadows to dot com, and mm-hmm. that's also your tag on Instagram from shadows to light. And Dana is a wonderful medium, past life regressionist. An overall channel who is uh, really great to work with. If, if anybody is interested, and to our and and thank you, Dana, by the way, again. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. And to our listeners, thank you, and we love you. <laughs>